0: This episode of The Zealous Podcast is sponsored by Perform Better. Perform Better is the leader in functional training by supplying innovative products and top-notch education to trainers, coaches, and therapists. Check out the brand new Perform Better app designed for professionals who want to stay on top of their game. This free app features education from the world's best. You'll learn from industry leaders including Mike Boyle, Gray Cook, Sue Falzoni, Charlie Weincroft, and many more. Topics range from strength and conditioning, program design, nutrition, business, and marketing. Just go to performbetter.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder, and in the house with me is head strength coach, strength conditioning coach of the New Orleans Saints, Dan Dahlrupal. And Dan, you've been, two, it's a 2006? You've been, that's. Yeah. That's phenomenal. You're going on your 15-year anniversary with the Saints.
1: Already already into my 16th year. My anniversary was uh, February 6th after the Super Bowl. Um, I came down that Monday, and uh, first day of work was uh, on Tuesday in 2006. Um, this is my, f- well, 33rd year full-time, 32nd year as a head strength conditioning coach because I was – 17 years coaching, 16 years as a head strength and conditioning coach at Miami Ohio my alma mater. And then I came to the Saints, and now I'm going into my 16th season here. So I'm like a unicorn. I'm one of those rare <laughs> beings that the coaches that, that have maintained, you know, all this time and been able to stay in a couple of different places. So.
0: Well, your, your office isn't like in some dark basement in the corner where they don't even know you exist, right? You're, yeah. you're kind of front and center with everything. I, yeah. I got to say, uh, University of Miami, uh, Ohio, the, when you were there, not that they're not a, a really great basketball team, but when you were there, they were in the Final Four at least uh, heading that way a couple times, weren't they? We,
1: we made the, the farthest we went was Sweet 16 when Wally Zerbiak was a senior. Uh, But we had a good program. We had uh, uh, I had Ben Roethlisberger there as our quarterback during my time there, and had a a lot of a lot of other uh, good players. Have good, really good hockey program as well. So my sports there actually as the head guy. I started out. I was the first strength coach, full-time strength coach there ever hired in um, December of 1989, and I had all sports, and then I was able to hire one assistant and. And then eventually my last year there, I had two GAs as well. So that was my whole staff for the entire department. And I did football by myself, men's and women's basketball, volleyball, and ice hockey all by myself. And then every once in a while I do some soccer and and some some of the other sports, whatever my assistant kind of handled all the rest of the Olympic sports. And so we, um, Wow. It was interesting when I got here and I had just football players and I had two full-time assistants or actually at that time I had an intern and a full-time and now I have two full-time but um it, it's uh it's different so
0: Yeah, I imagine that that was actually going to be one of my biggest questions. Really how different is it? I'm it's I I am I I am I'm sure it's very different in the way that you don't have all those different sports but the different positions and, and the level of competition is is completely different. So what, yeah, what are the biggest differences between? I would
1: say, I would say, well, one outside um, coming in, it's, there's a lot more media um, interest in the New Orleans Saints and, you know, that we're dealing with. And so you're on, you know, uh, more people are interested in what you're doing probably than, than what I was used to at being in the Mid-American conference for so long uh, with our sports or not that our sports weren't worthy of coverage, but they certainly were, but uh, it's just different. So that you're not on the same national scale. So that's a little bit different. You know, it's, it's interesting to be dealing with people who are world renowned, you know, so, and you're seeing them every day. So that's, that's a little, a little different experience. The biggest issue I would say, um, you're dealing with grown men, um, professionals who um, not only bring a lot more skill and, and experience to the, to the position, um, but also bring a, a litany of, of compensation patterns and injuries and things that you don't see when you're dealing with a demographic that's, you know, 17 18 years old to like 21 to you know some of our our hockey players might have been 22 23 by the time they got done playing but they were a little bit older some of the Canadians or whatnot but uh I'm dealing with you know Drew Brees is 42 you know so you know there's issues of of that um at least I hope to be I don't know we're gonna we're still waiting on his decision whether or not he's gonna uh stay with it or retire or whatever but um you know, so you're dealing with this gamut of, of guys. And, and so your approach to training has to take that into effect. Um, there's kind of two, I always tell young players that I, I know young, I've seen young players come into our league who don't work hard or don't have a, a plan of how they're going to do things. But I don't know of any old player because you don't get to be an old player. Uh, unless you have a good plan and, of how you're uh, handling your, your work and your business and taking care of your body and, and working towards it and your nutrition and all those different things. Um, they just, you know, the young players that don't know how to do it or refuse to do it are out, you know, so they never get to be, uh, you know, in year five, six, seven, or eight, whatever. Um, but with that, then you're also dealing with some guys who have some very uh, strong opinions on, on what their training should look like. And so, you go from being in college where you're almost more of a dictator. You know, I'm doing, we're doing it this way because yeah. I said we're doing it this way, and if you don't like it, that's too bad. We'll go out and run some wind sprints. But um, the uh, uh, here, you you need to be more um, of a partner with your with your, especially your good guys, which we have a tremendous amount of good guys. A um, bunch of guys who uh, are really hard workers and high-character players. It's one of the things that – just one minute. I've the head coach here. Jim, Jim. Hey, Jim. It's a pleasure to see you. You. to see you.
0: Good to see
1: you. What's working on? i got a, a podcast thing going on. Keep podcast. going. Okay, okay, so you'll see, later, right. see you later All right. see him. And the head coach comes in and has the coach come in to visit. So you just uh, – <laughs> <laughs> that's the only person that will pull me away. No but, uh, problem. But anyways, uh,
0: well, so you're talking about, uh, you know, coordinating and communicating, being kind of more of a team approach with, with other maybe specialists or coaches that players bring in. Now there's one uh, I'm sure maybe mutual colleague or mutual friend that we have, and that's Tom House. And yeah. Tom's been the throwing coach for Drew for, for many, many Absolutely. years, like 16, 17 years. So give me an example of like when, when Tom comes and, and does some stuff with, with Drew, what is it that you and Tom communicate? You know, what, what is it? Well,
1: it's, it's interesting because probably I have more, now when Tom comes in, we'll just watch some of the things he's doing with Drew so that when Drew wants to do that and he needs help, you know, myself or the, or the, our our, uh, director of sports medicine will work with him. A lot of, a lot of things that that Tom does our our PTs and stuff will work with, with uh, Drew on. Um, some of my direct contact are with uh, a guy that drew his train under for probably as long as he's been with Tom house, Todd Durkin down in, in San Diego. And, you know, Todd and I've had plenty of conversations over the years. And, and basically it's just, you, you hope it's a case of where we're two professionals who we'll have the same goal for the player. And so we're willing to help each other and and give each other information say, Hey, we did this. But a lot of times what ends up even not a, uh, a direct communication between myself and the outside professional, it's a case of the athlete comes in and they say, hey, in my training, I've been doing this. Like um, John Billman, I used to sit down and he would come back. He, he was training um, with uh, Coach Swayze over in, in Florida, it was at University of Miami at the time. And, and I'm not quite sure, he's, he's running a business down in, uh, in uh, South Florida and trains a lot of players. But uh, he would he would talk about Johnny would talk about what he was doing and how what he was going to do he, he had done pre off season and where he'd hope to pick it up when he was would leave here for, because our players get about a five five day or five week break between the end of our OTAs and the beginning of our training camp uh-huh. and that's pretty common across the NFL so they have this five week training period on their own. And so you try to coordinate it with a, with a player who is is really dialed into his training. You try to look at it and say, okay, how can we make sure we're not, you know, being redundant or, or you know, we're not, it, it's a relatively seamless transition. And so, you know, we would sit down and we'd talk about that. And then I would just bridge the gaps. And if I had questions about what, what they were going to expect to be doing, you know, in July, when they returned, I would do that. You know, I, I, I'd, call the, I'd call the coach and say, hey, where are we at here? But most of the time, it was pretty simple. And I'd know, okay, here's where we're at. Because some of the guys will return for, from camp uh, or return to um, our off-season program, and they haven't maybe done an Olympic list for a while. And so I know that I, I can't just jump in on a, you know, as if they're in week five of a, of a training program yeah. using power cleans. Um, and so that's a simple thing. Uh, but then there's other guys who've been through and they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I've already gone through an accumulation phase and I'm an intense you know, whatever. So you, 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 it, it becomes a little tricky because you're dealing like in the off season with 60, 70 guys, then 90 some guys maximum. And they all come from different backgrounds. Sure. So that's the thing too. Cause in college, it was pretty simple. The season went in, and, you know, depending on what the NCAA rules were at the time, you'd have a period of time off, and then you start training them again. And, and basically all – and you'd have them all summer long. You'd have them all winter long. You'd have them for four or five years straight. Here we have really guys beautiful. coming in and out of the program. They're yeah. coming from all different backgrounds. They're going away doing all kinds of different things. And so then you're trying to, you know, trying to rebuild it. So it, it, it keeps you – and it's not like we write programs individually for each different player. But we, we, we take into account different levels of, of where they're at and what they can do. And then they have issues with, you know, what they can do medically, you know. So we yeah, have now have
0: that's, that's interesting because you, you brought up compensatory patterns. And one question I have is because you've been doing it now, going into your 16th year, if you look back to maybe even your time at, at the university before getting off to New Orleans, would you say that the athletes are... Uh, because of maybe technology advancing and, and whatnot, that there, you're seeing more compensatory patterns as the years go by because gently or generally on the whole, our society, uh, the kids are not playing like they used to when we were growing up. Are you seeing that?
1: I, I think that I see, I remember years ago, and this is probably the early 1990s, I was at an NSCA conference and unfortunately, I can't remember her name, but there was a female orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine professional who talked. And at the time it's because I was dealing with female athletes. It was one of the talks that I went to. They're talking about the prevalence of injury in female athletes of non-contact, you know, ACLs and things like that in female athletes and the preponderance of it over male athletes. And you know, there's all kinds of crazy talk about hormonal and all these different things and some mm-hmm. and some things that we just if you're a if you're a fan of, of women's athletics, which I am, um, you, you don't really buy into, but she had a very interesting point. She said that Little boys growing up are encouraged to rough house and they're encouraged to do training. And then when they get a little bit older and they maybe walk in the weight room for the first time, someone's teaching them how to do squats and they're teaching them how to do Olympic lifts and they're teaching them how to do heavy, heavy training. A female athlete, even though she may you know, play from a young age, she may not have the same rough housing as a, as a toddler that you have with a boy. Um, and that's just societal norms, so to speak. And there's differences from it, of course. Uh, and, but then, you know, at that time, too, and it's different now, luckily, um, I think, but like a, a, a woman's workout, you know, women, female athletes, maybe been steered more towards machine oriented training, and there's just less, and she had this idea that similar to speech patterns, you know, if a, if a human being doesn't learn how to speak by a certain age, they're never going to learn how to speak, Right. If you don't learn kinesthetic awareness and you don't learn proprioception and all these different things that you learn from playing and running and jumping and doing all that stuff, you're never really going to have that same level of skill. And she made a prediction that I think is very true that we're going to see that even back out because little boys were starting to do a lot less playing. Right. And then you also add it into a, a joining it, adding into um, getting specialized at an early age or organized sports versus disorganized free play, mm-hmm. you know, and all those things affecting how the athlete develops, you know, is going to affect that. And I think we see that. And I think that's why some of the injuries are different now than what you used to see all the time. You know, you see some things that are that are much more prevalent happening now and you're like what you know i remember like we'd see you know um you know some different bone abnormalities and stuff with with you know that you never saw you know just like with these like stress fractures and uh-huh. feet and ankles and some of these things and like uh tendon tears achilles tendon tears at a younger age it used to be it was you know, old guys like me trying to go out and play tennis, they would step back and tear out an Achilles, or thinking we could go play pickup basketball and tear an Achilles. And now you're seeing like 20 year old athletes tearing Achilles and, and things like that. And it's just, you know, you think that society's kind of crept into athletics and everybody wants to say everybody's bigger, faster, and stronger. And, and maybe, maybe they are to a degree, but I think you can see, you know, you look back over time and there were some pretty big, fast, strong athletes in the past too. Yes.
0: And now the passive means of competition being on a Game Boy or whatever, or even on a phone, that's, that's gonna add up. So we're I I am also kind of continuing that prediction on. You know, interestingly enough, and coincidental that you're in New Orleans is that the NSCA annual conference back in, I think it was ninety-four or ninety-five, was in New Orleans. And yeah. and uh, and at that conference, there was a speaker and his name was Jeff Gluckman, and he was with the dynamics of physical development consultants. And he was also talking about muscular balance and posture development and Mm -hmm. saying that as we progress on in society and reduce our level of physical, purposeful physical movement, that the the degradation of our integrity or our structure is is going to increase. And therefore, we're going to see more non-contact injuries in, in sports and whatnot. And Uh, at that time, you know, not many people were talking about muscle balance and posture and how it fits into strength conditioning, but boy, that, that totally resonated with me. So there were some bubbles percolating up to the surface and uh, well, uh, fortunately we both were able to hear it. So, you know, there's a lot of people that think that the position that you're in as head strength conditioning, you've, you've basically made it, you're there and people are just going to learn from you with all your experience and knowledge and you don't need to learn anymore. But that's a bunch of crap, I'm sure, right? Yeah. So well, here's a, here, here's
1: here's a here's a this was told to me by a good friend of mine in the league um, before I entered the league, and it was actually before I was even thinking about entering the league. NFL players are motivated to reach their personal goals as a player, right? And so they're looking for a coach who can provide them with information and techniques and the ability to coach them to improve their performance so they can reach their goals. And as long as you have information that they view as being necessary and they view as being valuable, they'll continue to listen to you and you'll have value as a coach. The minute that they feel like your information is no longer valuable or they've gotten all the information they can use out of you, you're no longer valuable to them and then you're out. And that's 100% true. You know, I, th- I think that we have to stand cutting edge. And I have to be, I think it's a competition because it's very easy. We, we talked a little bit about before we started the podcast here um, about how you can come, become isolated in this job. And you don't maybe necessarily get out to, to go to, to uh, clinics and maybe talk with your colleagues as much as, as you might in some other profession, uh, areas of the profession. And so, like, it's, it'd be very easy to know what you know. And it'd be very easy to sit back and say, yeah, I, I've reached my pinnacle. And then all of a sudden, you don't know the latest technique. You don't know what's going on out in the world. The players going out there because they're working with trainers and they've got all kinds of different ideas and they're bringing stuff to you. And if you don't know what it is when they bring it to you, that's gonna you're going to lose credibility with them. So I think it's even more so important for me because of that, because like I mentioned, like in college, you're the dictator here. You're, you're, you're more um, the facilitator. Uh, so, you know, I have to stay on top of stuff. And so, and I just think that's important anyways. And, yeah. you know, you, you never, if you think you have all the answers. <laughs> you're behind. Yeah. So I with,
0: with you know. Questions. With COVID, you know, and of course, b- before the, uh, we started recording, we were talking about uh, getting CEUs or continuing education units, because we still have to maintain our credentials and go out there. So how have you been doing it this past year? I'm, I'm curious, where do you go for your education? And what are the, the avenues or the, the concepts that you're hunting down currently?
1: Well, the, the, I'll go backwards. I'll, I'll answer your last question first. Uh, the biggest kind of area that we're looking at right now is, is velocity-based training and, and ways that we can integrate that more into our program um, and uh, d- different technologies that we might be wanting to apply in our program. Um, so we're, we're testing out some of the different technologies now and seeing that and then also seeing some of the different ways Trying to understand all the all the research data that's come on velocity-based training and all the different work Brian Mann stuff, all the different things that are that are going on there, and then seeing how that can be applied to our program. And I see um, besides just the idea of moving, you know, objects faster um, and using velocity as kind of the 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 measurement met- metric, besides just you know how much weight's on the bar, or how much you know. Uh, we we're lifting or the technique or the exercise we're doing um I think there's some some very good methods that the challenge for me in college we did a lot of one rep maxes and we did a lot and we take a week to do testing and stuff like that periodically and so I had a really good you know plan of, of or idea of where the athlete was you know we do our 40 yard dashes and we do our vertical jumps and our long jumps and our power clean one rep maxes and our squat one rep maxes and benches and then some rep maxes on body weight exercises champs things like that so we put together a whole physical performance profile we don't have the the time to do that when you say that our off-season program is nine weeks and two weeks of that is only strength conditioning the rest of it also involves football you know so i have nine total weeks of contact with them and then the guys are gone we finish the season, and the next day we have exit interviews. However you finish it, the next day it's exit interviews. They're gone. You may not see them again until April. So they may be leaving here in January, February, and then they're, they're back in April. Um, and then they leave in mid-June, and then they're back in July. And not to mention that you got people coming in at all times. You know, if, every week we have a new player on the roster and a new old player leaves, and it's churning the roster all the time. So to say, well, we got to go through our week of testing, <laughs> you don't have it. Not to mention, I, it's like, okay, we're in the middle of the season. I need to know what a one rep max for a guy's squat is so I can figure out what percentage he should be training at. Can't do it. But I can use the velocity-based training to do some stuff during the workout and try to factor in and find some accurate methods of uh, of determining uh, a rep max for them that we can then extrapolate a, a single rep max for. And then that can be used for our training so we can keep track if We're getting... Uh, positive results. We also use force plates and um, we can measure some, you know, jumping metrics and things like that on there. And so the speed uh, is important for us to use so that we know that if we're not making the progress we want with the athlete, is it the training program design itself or is it just the implementation of the training? Is the, is the player actually moving the bar at the speed that we want to, to get the required results? Awesome. Um, so, this, so that velocity-based stuff is real high on our list.
0: So you use that as, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you use the velocity, like, are we talking maybe 40 meter sprint, 40 meter dash, and you're using that almost as kind of like a heartbeat monitor or an indication of load and, and, and volume of work based on their outcome there, or is this completely different?
1: Well, really what we're looking at is, is, is more stuff in the weight room
0: the weight room, in the, really in goes, the bar so.
1: speed that we're working at a, a certain exercise. So, like if we're trying to do, um, <clears throat> I do a, my background. A lot of the things that I do are similar to some of the things, the concepts that Louis Simmons has put forward with maximal effort days and dynamic days and things like that. I take a lot of information. From, I take a lot of information from a lot of people, but that's an idea. So, if we're doing a dynamic day. And we say we want to do speed squats right and and so we're say we want the bar to move at, a, at x you know meters per second um we need some way to measure that other than the coach's eye you know because you look at a bar and say okay he's moving fast but how fast mm-hmm. you know and so there's some there's some specific data that has been determined of you know maximum speeds to 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 look at various aspects of strength, where your speed, strength, strength, speed, you know, all these different speed endurance, all the different factors that you could be training. And so we just need to find a way to to measure that. And it used to be, you'd use Tendo's and then there's Gym Aware, and now there's some video technology that you can use um, that can track the bar speed. And so those are the things we're looking at so that we can can determine, um, you know, I can set them, for instance, I can do a workout. And we can just say, let's say we're doing sets of five, and we only want to count the reps that are, you know, at a certain speed. Based on we know that, like you know, as you approach one rep max, your speed goes to zero, right? Because once yeah. you exceed the one rep max, you can't move the bar, so there's no speed. And then there's it's kind of a law of diminishing returns. You get to a certain lightweight, and the weight's almost too light to move fast. You need some resistance to create that speed. So we know those numbers. And we can put it in and whatever we're training, whatever aspect we're training, we can determine what we think the one rep max is. And then when these athletes come back and go back and forth, we can say, well, you know, 500 pounds was a a player's back squat max when he left. And we know that he could, you know, move, you know, 85% was this number of that number. And he comes back and now you find out the bar speed slowed down quite a bit. And that would tell you, well, that's telling me that 500 pounds is no longer his max. That, that 85% is weight is is actually maybe 90 90 90 5% of what his actual max is. So the bar speed slowed down. Gotcha. Right. Without doing the testing. Sure. Without saying, hey, okay, do another set of one, do another set of one, and you have that you have that risk. And also, when you're doing rep maxes, it's difficult because you get fatigue, right? So if we can cut it off and say, hey, anytime it slows down past this number, I don't care if you can do five more reps, you yeah. can't do them fast enough.
0: So, now yeah. you mentioned the force plate too, so I'm curious on the, the ground-based movements like cleans, uh, jerks, uh, push presses or anything, it, it squats and so on. Do you put the athletes on a force plate so you can correlate not only bar speed, but where their their mass distribution is and as we, they we, start fatiguing, where does their during, mass... During the
1: season or during the off-season program, during the season this last year, we tried to do a series of, um, of uh, uh, jumps on the force plate um, once a week when the play once or twice a week when the player would come in. And then we would use that data. We'd look at asymmetries and their jumping and landing. We'd look at their, um, a bunch of different me- metrics and determine, try to really to try to determine readiness. You know, um, an NFL football game is like in a car accident. So you come in after that and you're all beat up. And our job during the season is to get the player back ready to go so that by the next Sunday, or Monday or Thursday, whenever they're playing, they're ready to go again, right? So um, we we might test that, and then that would turn, determine like if we notice that they're going down every week in their numbers, becoming less explosive, that is kind of a harbinger for maybe some overtraining or they're just not recovering enough, and so that would tell us that hey, we need to up our recovery methodologies. You know, we have recovery days built in d- different active recovery strategies that we build into the athlete's weekly schedule. Um, There's all kinds of different modalities they might use. I mean, we have chiropractors, we have yoga instructors, we have massage therapists, we have a cryo chamber, we have Mm -hmm. the egg sleep chambers in our, in our facility. We have, we've, we've really spared no expense in technology to help guys recover. And then players individually have, their own regiments they do so if we notice that the guy is coming in and seems to be his performance is decreasing you don't see it on the field maybe but you may see it down the because it's a long season you want to catch it in october or early late september rather than oh it's the end of the
0: year no wonder we didn't make the
1: playoffs we we lost the last four games because we were just worn out
0: yeah you want them peaking in january
1: yeah right yeah
0: so uh, you mentioned sleep. I'm I'm kind of curious. This are we talking like hyperbaric chambers? Are we talking actually sleep studies where they spend the night over there? Or what's that all about? We
1: we um, we have a a, a woman, um, Dr. Meeta Singh, who um, consults us for sleep, um, and she she does a lot of uh, provides a lot of information to our coaches and players of, of, of how they should be sleeping. And some of the things that they, like we set up our schedule, sometimes our travel schedule going out West. A lot of times now we'll stay overnight after a game. Uh, Like we have a West coast Monday night game instead of it used to be, you just jump on the plane after the game and you fly back. Well then that whole sleep schedule is disrupted. We, we, we feel like the players may not agree because a lot of times they just want to get home, but we may say, Hey, it's better off to finish the game. Go back to the hotel, get a good night's rest fly back on the next morning and have and stay on our same rhythm or we may change our practice schedule if we know we're going to play a number of night games you know so the guys are trying to change their their rhythm a little bit so that they're awake. we moved back our we used to always meet at like 7 seven thirty in the morning eight o'clock in the morning and we've moved back our, our first meeting to nine o'clock in the morning to try to allow for players to to sleep in a little bit a little bit longer because we realized that if we let them sleep in more in the morning, uh, their, their nighttime ritual is going to be about the same. So we need, we need to move our, our day back a little bit. Um,
0: Are other teams early doing risers
1: that? can still come in and train. What's that?
0: Are other teams doing that?
1: I, I think to some degrees. Yeah. Um, uh, hmm. you know, because it's, this is a big, there's 32 of us all trying to get an advantage. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not going to think I'd love to sit here and think, man, we're the smartest people in the world. You know, we've, we've, We've had a great deal of success over the last, last four or five years with number of wins in regular season. I think we're leading the, the, the NFL in that. It does nothing for us because we didn't win the Super Bowl. So, you know, it's like, you know, whatever. <laughs> the nice consolation prize, but who cares? So um, we need to get the final prize. But um, we're, we're not probably doing anything. You just hope that, that your players are complying. And, and so and back to the hyperbaric. Some guys have hyperbaric chambers at home. Okay. We don't have any on, on, in our facility, but we do have the, the float tank pods where a guy can go get like a nap. Nice. In the, in the salt water and uh, uh, use that for recovery. We do recovery um, days on Mondays and we do them on Fridays. So after practice on Friday, we have uh, a bunch of different stations and the players are kind of required to attend a cut like they may go through a yoga session. Um, to yeah. just to do kind of a stretching mobility, you know, body awareness, kind of uh, relaxation. She also does a lot of things with breathing just to get, you know, some recovery there um, because we feel like we have put in some work during the week and now we really want to get the, the batteries recharged by that Sunday game. And then we do the same thing on Monday. We have, you know, um, dry needling practitioners in our training room that can do some of those techniques you have Graston technique you have all these different all this different work body work that we can do on our players to help them you know feel better more so than anything than we've done before we have uh uh our our team nutritionist uh jamie meeks is outstanding and she has nutritional uh like every player has a specialized smoothie that they can have after their any you know activity and she'll Do some things in terms of uh, counseling of what they should be supplementation they should be possibly using for their you know their work there's some limitations that the nfl has and and what type of supplements that we're allowed to provide so we have to follow those protocols but the you know she's a great resource when a guy has some some questions about you know where his diet might be deficient she can do that and and, um you know
0: that's cool now prescribe
1: melatonin for people and things like that you know
0: i'm i'm completely like uh, jealous is not the word i mean i'm agog at how many things you have under one roof that's just phenomenal i just drool at the thought of just uh just just experiencing that now we were talking about continuing education units also and not that i'm asking for you to endorse any overall or mm-hmm. whatever, but with COVID, you went online and you were pursuing knowledge in different fields for CEUs. Where are some of the places that you found information?
1: Well, this is one, one of the things we did. We were planning before COVID to, to host a USA Weightlifting uh, Level Coaches Club uh, um, clinic here on, on our, in our facility, and that got shut down. And so we ended up, because we'd already signed up for them, we ended up doing an online one, and it was, it was outstanding. You know, we, I weren't, I wasn't able to, you know, it wasn't the hands-on actually doing the Olympic lifts a lot, but it, for a coach, it was tremendous because we did a lot of film analysis and uh, there was a lot more, I felt like it was a lot more in depth. Sometimes the online stuff is much more in depth than if you have a group of people and the instructor's kind of going around and just kind of checking you off. You know, you're not quite, you can kind of pass it without You can fake it a little bit more. But when all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, I got to go through same thing with like your first date and your CPR and stuff like that. I find like it's, it's much more thorough online than it is when we would do yeah. the, in-person. that's
0: how I got my USA weightlifting club coach. <laughs> that was yeah. years ago, but yeah. yeah, I, I snuck through it.
1: <laughs> so that was one of the things we did. I also, um, Unfortunately, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but my, my CSCS had, had lapsed because I didn't have enough continuing education units, and so I was able to go back in and, and get that and turn in, because I, I'd done them, I just hadn't turned them in, Sure. And so, and so I was able to get that all straightened out and had uh, Eric McMahon did a, a great job helping us out, um, helping me out with that and, and getting that redone, so that, like, I got re-energized with the NSCA, um, cause I kind of gotten away from that same, same thing with the CSCCA, um, going through those, that process and all that. And, uh, so, um, doing that and then, you know, hammer strength did a really nice online, um, uh, clinic over the, I think it was last summer or fall or last spring or something. And that was able that again, it was a lot of the clinics that I would have attended when I was coaching in college, but just my schedule in the NFL, precluded me from doing it now i could just okay i could do this online you know where okay i can't watch it but i can go back and watch the recording of it and all that kind of stuff so i found it did a lot of that And then you have your equipment companies are doing some things perch did a nice job they're one of the velocity-based training camera systems they had some some speakers and i would tie in and just turn on my computer and listen to it and and, and do that. And then you know, I've done a ton of reading, you know I mean? I read a lot anyways, but I felt like I'd, I've done more reading in uh, in the last year than I've done in a long time. So I, I feel like I've been able to use this, especially last fall, or not, I mean, like he's saying fall, last spring and summer, um, when we were limited really on how much contact we could have with our players, like our off season program had canceled and all that. I feel like, you know, you got to be doing something all the time to make yourself better. And sometimes that comes from training athletes and paying attention to the athlete and what's going on, what's working. And if you, if you're not, if you don't have that laboratory open, you better open up another lab. So the, the video lab opened up this uh, past off season and was able to do that. So I got a lot of, a lot of work that way.
0: That's cool. That's, that's, yeah, it's just reinforcing what I've already thought is that we've just got to continually learn because it's still such a young science and there's more information going out there all the time. And if you think that you know even a, a good deal of it, you're, you're not in the right frame of mind because the more I learn, the more I realize, the less I know. Uh, so when it comes to being down on the field, I'm curious as your role of strength and conditioning coach during game time, what, what's your role on the, on the sidelines there? What are you doing?
1: There's two things. One, um, NFL, besides being a sports organization, we're also an entertainment medium, right? (laughs) It's true. We're in the entertainment industry. Okay. And so one of my roles pregame is timing, is timing up and making sure, like when when ESPN or Fox or or CBS or whatever gets that shot of the team leaving the tunnel and it's perfect, they see them just at a time, that didn't happen by accident. That's not just because the cameraman's just lucky to get that on thing.
0: That's you? We have to
1: hit our marks. And so oh. we have to make sure we leave the locker room at the right time. And so we have a whole timing schedule of when everything's going to happen. And pregame, uh, that's one of my responsibilities to kind of make sure everybody's in the right place at the right time leaves the locker room at the right time. We know how long it's going to take them to walk from the locker room to enter the field. And so that's when they need to leave the locker room, the two minute warning, do some things like that. So I'm calling that stuff out and that's behind the scenes stuff. Same thing at halftime, you know, you'll see me clock, clock clicking my stopwatch as soon as, as soon as the, as the clock starts for halftime to make sure, because the, the halftime is 13 minutes long. And, and, and at the nine minute mark, we have to make sure that the, the coaches' meetings are kind of up, are done so that they can go back and, and do any corrections or changes or any kind of adjustments we're going to make at halftime. And then at the seven-minute mark, I go out to find the referees, and at the five-minute mark is the is two-minute warning to get back to the field. And then at the three-minute mark, they've got to be out of the locker room to make sure that they're on the field in time for kickoff second half. So that's part of it. But that that's like, you know, okay, so why does the strength coach do it? Because yeah. I'm the one that can do it right i I'm not I'm not worried about you know blocking an edge an edge rusher or, or, or stopping a you know whatever route or something so I, I've got that um, I'm also responsible my staff and I are also responsible for helping the players warm up and and get ready to go and also stay warmed up and ready to go on the sidelines like a guy you know a guy may come out and say hey I need an extra stretch you know they haven't they've been in and out or, or making sure a guy he's He's, he's fighting a, he's fighting the muscle pull a little bit. And so we're keeping him warmed up when he's not, uh, he's sitting on a bike and we're working on some stuff with that or, or, or we're making sure they're hydrated, it's a super hot, hot game or making sure they're getting enough helping the dietitian because so she's on the sidelines as well, making sure they're getting, you know, some carbohydrates into them and, and, and that during COVID we had mask patrol. So we had to, we have to have, wear masks or get fined. So like, Part of our job is me carry masks around and go, hey, mask up. You're, you know, so that was so there's all kinds of different duties that you do that if you're just watching the game, you're like, what are they doing? And then huh. the ultimate is the get back coach.
0: Get you know, back coach. Sure
1: everybody's, everybody's behind the line. Oh, get back. So you know, so get back. That's a strength coaches usually get are usually the get back coach. But it's like that's now they that used to be just like, you know, you call them the get back. Coach. Now it's like the official title. The refs will come up, okay, who's your get-back coach? Like, <laughs> hey, all right, Dan, you know, make sure you've got a problem with – and they'll, a lot of that, the, the refs will communicate with us about, hey, you know, number 72 is, you know, on edge a little bit. You might want to calm him down, make sure he doesn't get this. Or, or hey, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, could you help us with the head coach and keep him off the field, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, so gotcha. – See, we have a variety of jobs.
0: It sounds it. You mentioned uh, the, one of the biggest ones is warming up the players, and I'm curious as the season progresses, do the warm ups change, or are they a fairly standard thing that you just you you go through? What what's the warm up like?
1: Our our uh, our, our standard warm up is pretty simple, pretty much the same all year long. Okay, there's a, a series of active. Um, movement work we do and some, and some kind of different uh, yoga inspired static stretching along with some movement patterns and some little just kind of flows that we do to warm up. But most of the players have a routine that they follow both to physically get ready warmed up and then like skill specifically get ready to go. So some of my assist, my assistants may be throwing the tight ends of the ball, running them um, you know just getting their hands warmed up or we might have a D lineman hitting the the pad of the goal post, just getting used to kind of getting their hands in. and guys have certain things and it goes, it, it becomes very individualized and, and very strictly routine. There's also a process for injured players that we're making a decision on whether or not that player is going to be active for the game or whether or not they're not going to be active for the game. And so we may work them out uh, before we have to turn in those active players take them through a little routine on the field running you know whatever their position is kind of position specific it'll be maybe the strength coach and the trainer and the position coach kind of going through some drills individual drills just to see if they can do it you know a guy's had a hamstring issue you feel pretty good about it but he's a little uh so you go out and run some stuff to find out hey is he still guarding that or is he can he open up but how's the player feel you know so that's that's a Sometimes you have to do that. That's not an every game deal, but as the year goes along, you may find more of that because you have more guys that are, you know, we're a hundred percent injury sport. So everybody's hurt at some point. So they're dealing with that injury to think that guys are going on the field, you know, when like fans will get frustrated because, well, this guy's not on the field. Well, everyone on the field is hurting with something. It's just, if you're good enough to go, you may not be great, you know, but can you, is your 80% worthwhile putting you out there or will we be better off to have another guy who can be at their 90% or whatever? So. Wow.
0: That's the first time I have heard anybody say it's a hundred percent injury sport. I, and it it was just something I never really considered because being a fan, of course, you're just looking and you're thinking, Oh yeah, they got some bumps and bruises from last week, but they're ready to go. But honestly there's there that's not the case right?
1: they're dealing with something and and they're dealing with accumulation i mean you're dealing with guys in their 30s and 40s and you know the regular you know a regular person knows that as you get older you know it takes a little longer to get back you know it takes me i don't recover from my lifting workouts anywhere near as fast as i used to before yeah. you know like <laughs> i get sore for two or three days after a heavy squat workout or whatever. So. Um, <laughs> But I'm well 55. then,
0: looking looking into this upcoming year, and let's say vaccines get rolled out, and and uh, crowds start to get back in the stadium, and so on. What are what are you looking forward to uh, for for this coming season?
1: Well, one I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, we'll have an off season program, um, yeah. because that'll make things a lot easier for us, um, from my standpoint, um, and that's still up in the air.
0: Did you notice? Um, like uh, by not having an, uh, a preseason, or because uh, you didn't really—I mean, it was, it was very yeah, condensed. We, we didn't play any preseason what, games. What was? Did you notice a higher injury rate because you did not have that?
1: There's there's higher injury rates at specific um, uh, for a specific player plays. Like um, I believe the pump coverage unit um, had more um, soft tissue injuries. Had a spike in the soft in- tissue injuries and ACLs. Wow. Compared to last year and, and that makes a lot of sense because that's a unit that you don't really practice full speed during the year during the you know because they're because you're running 40 50 yards down the field at full speed and changing direction so it's not like something that you feel real comfortable doing during the week right no. you know like the, the the defensive back coach does not want you to have his corner runs full speed down the field you know for that long for so the special teams coach is in a bind so they don't get to practice that And so if these guys haven't practiced, the only time you practice that is in OTAs or off-season program and during training camp. And so they never get to practice that. So it makes sense that if you don't practice something, if you don't prepare your body to do something, you're gonna possibly have more of an injury. So um, uh, it balanced out, I think the injury rate during camp balanced out just because you weren't playing any games. And so the games are more of an opportunity to get hurt. So if you're not playing them, you're not seeing those injuries. But then again, you would say maybe you saw more soft tissue. So I haven't got the full injury data yet in, but I've heard, you know, for instance, just talking to the special teams coaches, that was one area that spiked. Um, the biggest thing I think becomes a difficult thing is for uh, the younger players and the college free agent type players and the, and the rookies coming in without having that hands-on experience of coach being coached. Um, they can get coached, but they can't really demonstrate their performance. And so, you know, I would imagine last year, there were a number of uh, kind of young unknown players that didn't make rosters because they had no opportunity to prove themselves. And so the coaching staff felt more comfortable with an older proven player who in another year might've gotten beat out by a young guy. So I think it really hurt those young players. And, And so I'm hoping for their standpoint, because I was a college free agent coming out of, you know, uh, when I, my brief cup of coffee I had as a player in the NFL, I was a free agent. I wasn't drafted. Uh-huh. So I didn't make it then. So I would have had no chance of making it in this, in this setting. But um, uh, anyway, so I'm always worried about those guys a little bit, sure. you know, that's, that's my people. So.
0: Uh, this, coach, this has been, epic for me this has been a great hour I really appreciate your time I know you got a whole bunch of stuff and people are knocking on your door trying to get in and all that so Gotta go I, I, catch up I just get
1: coach and meet uh, the coach he was going to introduce me to so
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well I'll let you get back to them I, I appreciate you taking the time and good luck with next season sure. and uh, yeah I just wish you well
1: thank you very much appreciate it
0: And that brings another episode of the Zealous Podcast to a close. Thank you, Coach Dalrymple. I really appreciate it, Dan. And uh, wish you nothing but the best with New Orleans Saints in next season. And thank you, everyone, for listening in to yet another episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to subscribe and tell others. We want to see you back here next week.